Hi, and welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For more information on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out coopcreator.com. This is a great resource site that has everything you need to get a co-op up and running. In this episode, I had a great conversation with a longtime co-op advocate and developer, Patrick LaPointe. I think you'll like what he has to say. Patrick has 40 years of experience in community development and in the development and management of cooperatives. He has a particular interest in applying the cooperative model to support the vulnerable in our communities and has been very active in promotion of affordable housing, equitable treatment, and the accessibility of social programs for marginalized individuals and families. This includes Indigenous people, immigrants and refugees, single parents, inner city residents, and people living with AIDS. Patrick has been the Executive Director of the Community Health Services Saskatoon Association and now currently sits on its board. He has also been engaged by the Saskatchewan Cooperative Association to do co-op development since 2014 and has been assisting developing cooperatives with feasibility studies, business plan development, incorporation, bylaw and policy development, governance training, and short and long-term planning. He is a passionate advocate of the cooperative model and the application of its principles in human enterprise, and he was the proud recipient of the Saskatchewan Cooperative Association Cooperative Merit Award in 2011. So thank you so much for coming today, Patrick. I wanted to start by asking you just in general about your career as a, as a cooperative developer. Do you want to talk about what are some of the, the projects that you've been involved with over the course of your career? Well, probably the, the one I've been engaged in the most over 40 years is the Saskatoon Community Health Services Association because, I mean, I started off as a member in uh, 1969. I worked for them as a uh, staff member doing counseling for seniors and development of uh, social programming for seniors. Then I was on their board of directors and, uh, and became their executive director many years ago when I was the executive director for 18 years. And in that experience, I had the opportunity to not only be engaged in the development of our cooperative, which has grown enormously. I think now we serve 35,000 people and we have something like 150 to 160 staff and uh, probably the largest cooperative health centre in Canada. And in the midst of that, because of our focus on the development of services for vulnerable people, we've been engaged with other community organizations in the development of uh, of programs like housing and programming for persons with uh, HIV AIDS and uh, provide developing support for new Canadians. And so it's, being involved in that organization gave us the opportunity because our concern for not only health but social advocacy, getting in, engaged with other partners in our community province and nation in addressing those issues. So that particular cooperative was an inspiration uh, and, and really a platform to do a whole bunch of other work. Since then, uh, I, I retired a few years ago, seven years ago, hard to believe. Since that time, I've been engaged with the Saskatchewan Cooperative Association helping cooperatives that are interested in developing that uh, were already cooperative entities but needed support. And so for me, you're saying what kind of groups that I, have I been involved with? You, you know, I, it was funny back in, nine, in, the, uh, in the 70s, I was engaged by the provincial government to do social program development with, for, with uh, vulnerable groups. And at that time, the provincial government was 
an advocate of cooperatives, and they had a cooperative branch, and they had cooperative developers, the people experts you could go to to help cooperatives. And so we would work with them, and one of the organizations that we started with the Weldon Woodworkers. And what the Weldon Woodworkers Cooperative did was build boxes for coffins. Oh, really? That that there wasn't, a, you know, they they had the coffins, but they needed to put them in something to ship them. And you know, the reality is. How the coffin business works is that you know there's a big storehouse for coffins, mm-hmm. and then when somebody dies in some community, they want a particular com- uh, box. You got to get those boxes to them pretty quickly, and uh, so you had to put them in a box and ship them. And so that's what the Weldon Woodworkers did. Interesting. I don't, I don't really know what happened to the Weldon Woodworkers, <laughs> but the, uh, another recent cooperative we were involved with is the uh, Saskatoon Solar Cooperative out of the Saskatoon Environment Society and you know in terms of earth sustainability and those kinds of things it was an exciting cooperative to be involved in and and, you know they sold 400 shares immediately what they do when you sell a share is that you get you get a a solar panel and B a membership in the cooperative and uh, so it was fun helping them get incorporated because there were some real challenges uh, with things like the Security Commission related to how shares are sold and how many uh, shares get sold and at what value and how you determine mm-hmm. that how that gets done within the environment of security regulation. So that was an interesting cooperative. Another interesting cooperative in another domain was the uh, we we helped start a worker a construction workers cooperative where uh, a group of construction workers, carpenters, electricians, developers got together and form a, formed a cooperative. Is it so that a they, renew development? That's it. They can uh, you know bid on projects and they've been quite successful. And what's interesting is to see the the kind of cooperative values those. Uh, various trades brought to the table and making decisions about projects that they would engage in and also making decisions about who would they would bring in as uh, as co-members and, and engage to, to do construction. So that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a wide range. I mean, that's it's one thing that Cooperatives First tries to emphasize is just how versatile the cooperative model is. And yeah. from what you've said, from the people who make coffin boxes to healthcare centers, I mean, yeah. there really isn't a limit on what kind of cooperative you can you can form, right? No. So, and so, Patrick, too, I wanted to ask, what is a co-op developer and, and how do you become one? It's curious, eh? Yeah. <laughs> That's right, eh? Well, you know, it's funny because back in the, in the 70s when I went to school, there was a lot of interest in, in social enterprises and there was a lot of interest in community development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was what was going on in the, in the states and around the world in terms of, you know, groups organizing to address social issues. And so that was my focus when I went to school. My primary interest was in philosophy, but also I realized that it wasn't going to get me a living. So I took a lot of community development classes and those kinds of things. And so, and then we were involved in, as youth, involved in developing organizations. Like we started the Alliance of Youth and the Elderly, which was a which was a not for profit that was involved in having youth work for elderly, providing them home care, uh, home maintenance, in order to remain in their in their home. And so I think it was out of those kinds of enterprises that I was asked by an organization called the Community Aid Center to help them. They got some federal funding on the local initiatives programming 
uh, to help low-income groups organize into organizations that would help them address the issues that they're experiencing. So we got involved in, in developing social housing, developing uh, social employment programming, and that kind of thing. And so helping groups do those kinds of things. And, and through those kinds of experiences, I think, I don't know, I think I started helping organizations incorporate back in the early 70s. And so I've always had those that skill and knowledge. And so, you know, helping people become entities like not-for-profits and cooperatives or helping them go through feasibility studies and business planning and making applications for funding and those kinds of things sort of evolved over time. So you build up the skill set and then people find out you have the skill set. Mm -hmm. So you end up being a cooperative developer. (laughs) (laughs) Is everybody's path take the same same I think most paths are are quite different. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody has a unique way they get into this thing. And to some degree, for me, at this point, it's a bit like being the last man standing, (laughs) you know, in the sense that, that, oh, we need to change this bylaw, and how do we go about doing this, and how do we deal with the membership issue or the share issue? Well, there's a lot, a lot of people who've done those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and so so people find, oh, you've done it, so they ask you if you could help them, and that's how you end up doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so with your experience with the different cooperatives, is there, what's kind of the biggest hurdle that groups need to get over in, in that incorporation setup process? Is there one point that people find particularly difficult? You know, there is a almost standard logical path to the development of a cooperative in the sense that you do the conceptualization and you identify, you know, what's the needs what we're trying to address? You know, what's giving us this discomfort that motivates us to Mm -hmm. want to become a cooperative? And then you, you need to have the spark of sort of saying, well, you know, really... We can do something about our problem, eh? And so you need to have that spark. And to some degree, you need people who've had some experience in in, in addressing those uh, the issues of getting an organization started. And a lot of times when you have groups of people who, who see a common need, they don't necessarily have that skill and knowledge, and, and, and they have to have the wherewithal to reach out and help get the resources they need to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a pivotal point, eh? In, in the sense that they go, they need to go on the internet or they need to find some mentor or some organization like cooperatives first that they can go to and say, hey, listen, we're interested in doing this, but we're not quite sure how to do the structuring. And then I think, you know, people need to get a sense of how do we do a feasibility study? You know, like, how, what, what is, you know, you, you, you'll be there, the mentor saying, well, you need to do a feasibility yeah. study. Well, what's that? Yeah. Well, they kind of need the resources to find that out, and you can refer them to the Internet, or you can uh, give them uh, books that talk about this subject, or you can have them sit down with somebody sort of saying, these are the things that you need to go uh, to, t- to attend to. You know, what's the market out there now? Who's doing similar kinds of things? Uh, what's the potential for growth? Yeah, uh, you, you know what? What are you gonna What are you gonna need to get this off the ground? Like, you know, what kind of? You need buildings. You need people. You need materials. Well, you have to get your head around that kind of thing, and so you do need in your group of people those folks with an organizational mind to put that together. Mm-hmm. So that's the big hurdle. Okay. And a lot of times people are insecure about how do I? You know, like that's pretty complex, and how 
how do I go about it? And and you, they do need the encouragement. It's just step by step. There's no magic here. You just got to do the work. You got to, you know, phone the people who are in similar businesses and talk to them more. Uh, you know, if you're interested in, well, what kind of a membership structure? Well, there's all kinds of examples out there. Go and look at a bunch of them and see which one fits for you. Yeah. And so it's that kind of, uh, there, there needs to be some maturity in the group or somebody that, some body that they can reach out to and help them go through that. Those are critical stages. But once they get the confidence and understand the process, they can march. So you're from, from northern Saskatchewan. I am. And so in particular, have you seen cooperatives make an impact in the north, do you think? Or is it a good model to be applied in the north? It has been a good model to, uh, to apply to the north. And during the time when, uh, you know, the government was into supporting commu- uh, First Nations organizations uh, uh, or northern communities to organize and help them do that, there was a fostering of a, uh, of a whole bunch of different retail cooperatives. Like there was fisheries cooperatives, and there still is fisheries cooperatives and retail cooperatives like stores and communities. Uh, the trappers uh, formed a cooperative. So there was that support and economic development in the north for the development of cooperatives. But there has not been the development of many new cooperatives in the North for some years. And I think it's because of the lack of infrastructure support, that the, the, that the government has abandoned it. And so, you know, periodically some community or First Nations organization would reach out to SCA and say, we're interested, can we sit down and talk to you about how this might happen? And, and we can provide them some sm- small level of support. But... There isn't the the kind of encouragement of this is the way that we've resolved problems and uh, that community faced in the north before, and it's a way that's worked well, and it's a way that that you folk have the potential to effectively use. There hasn't been that, and for me, I worked with First Nations organizations, for instance, on um, in the Trappers Cooperative. And these traffickers wanted to have a cooperative, but it's really seasonal for them because they're in and out of the bush. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of times, they don't have skill and knowledge about how to relate to the government in terms of filing their annual returns mm-hmm. or, you know, developing a financial statement or, you know, keeping books and developing financial statements. So it's not an infrastructure that they're familiar with and they need support to keep that infrastructure alive. Otherwise, they lose their status. And that's, and a lot of times up north, what's happened is that because there isn't that infrastructure support, some of those fishing cooperatives, for instance, are really struggling. You talk to them, like, who are your board members? Well, we really don't know. And uh, when have you had your a- a- last annual meeting? Well, it's been a couple of years now. And then, you know, have you filed your returns? Oh, what's that? And so, and a lot of times they can't afford themselves to hire bookkeepers or hire somebody with some kind of corporate uh, experience to help them uh, at least meet the timelines that they need to meet. So the organizations struggle like mm-hmm. mad. Mm-hmm. Like, and to a lot of degrees, we've abandoned them up north. Mm-hmm. And yet we see all the issues that are consequent to that. I don't know what's going to happen now that they, that for instance, the. Uh, 
uh, chemical, a lot of the employment mm-hmm. up north is, is fostered by the mining, and uh, with the mining really cutting back, uh, it has all these ripple effects across the First Nation community. And they're going to be looking for how are we going to solve the economic issues of our community, because there's not going to be a short-term s- solution to that economic reality. Mm-hmm. And and so the, those people in northern communities are really going to need support for looking at economic alternatives for them. So I know that, you know, when you ask the question, you know, what are the opportunities up there? Well, in this situation of, crash, of crisis, there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. But are those communities going to reach out for support? And are we going to be able to provide that to mm-hmm. them in terms of looking at other kinds of enterprise? And I think that cooperatives are an ideal. So what other kinds of economic things? You know, what about social tourism or and economic? You know, there's, there's a lot of potential for bringing to the people to the north and introducing them to that lifestyle. And, mm-hmm. and we saw that working with the Trappers Association. Mm-hmm. Turn, you know, they wanted to introduce people to, to hunting and trapping and the northern way of life. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of potential for introducing and marketing that whole mm-hmm. bit, but they need some help to do that. Well, and it sounds like, you know, you talk about the cooperative model, sounds like a very good fit. Working together, um, you know, doing the work collectively and collectively benefiting from the work, but where the clash comes from is sort of the, the Canadian government system being the barrier. Is, it, is there anything that could be done to mitigate that? Could they, still using the cooperative model and yet trying to get around the barriers that are put there by the government expectations? You asked that because, you know, we did uh, through SCA some work with the Treaty Commission on mm-hmm. talking about and uh, on, on working with, there's an organization of First Nations economic developers. And that's something that's unique that's happened in, in the last decade or so for almost all uh, of the tribal councils and the bands have engaged economic developers. Mm-hmm. And these economic developers have, have expressed an interest in the cooperative model as a way of doing business for them, where, you know, there's that notion of partnering up together and doing things like developing housing or or, or, or developing businesses that make sense in the environment that we're in, transportation businesses or tourism businesses or, or um, some kind of animal husbandry like buffalo. And so, you know, we were working with them to, to, to talk about the cooperative model and they, they were a good fit for them. And, you know, part of that had to do with, uh, there was a lot of shared values between the cooperative model and First Nations ways of working together to address common needs. You know, there there was a, there was the notions of you know we talk about equity and respect and cooperative in the sense that you know that we don't want to have racial bias or sexual biases and those kind of things and sustainability and social responsibility are, are like core values for First Nations organizations. I think that there's some potential to reach out to existing cooperatives in the north and use them as uh, as mentors. Uh, or as resources uh, for other potential cooperatives. But it's hard to understand where the leadership is uh, is going to come from for that, in the sense that, that there could be potential for leadership within the bands and tribal councils and the communities of the North. And maybe they'll feel a need more motivation because of the economic crisis that they're going to be experiencing mm. to try and see what other kind of enterprises they could set up now that they can't be dependent on the mining industry. And so 
I think it, it, it'll depend on the leadership at the band and tribal council level, and it'll depend on what kind of leadership that the province might provide in the circumstances of that crisis. I think that there needs to be some kind of ongoing infrastructure that keeps the flame alive in places like fisheries for cooperatives, you know, because mm-hmm. they've been around for, uh, for, for many years, but they're at a low ebb right now. But there are some signs like, uh, like you know, some of the fishing cooperatives have been able to develop some better marketing and, uh, and they have developed fish plants. Now you can go to the Saskatoon Cooperative Store and buy fish that's been processed at La Loche. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, like that's quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how come we can go to the, uh, you know, we're buying fish from all kinds of other countries, and yet we have a tremendous fish industry here that we, we have the potential to, uh, to cash in on for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And the co-op model seems an ideal way to do Perfect. that. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Lastly, if, if I know this would be difficult because you've spent a long career in, in cooperatives, but is there one or two of the main sort of lessons you think you've learned in your time with co-ops, specifically co-ops in the north or in healthcare? What are the big sort of overarching things that you think you've learned? Well, the need for on, for ongoing support. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, for co-ops, for cooperatives. Yeah, there needs to be. You know, for me, the the ideal world would be somebody, uh, some organization that had responsibilities for touching base with cooperatives and re- uh, on a on a uh, regular basis and saying, "How are you doing? Yes. <laughs> you know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, where are your successes? Where are you, where are you struggling? How can we help you?" So not just necessarily financial support, but all kinds of supports, oh, you think? Like, you know, oh, gee, there are boards battling. Oh, you're, you're going to need some help with conflict resolution. How do you get those kinds of skills, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Or, geez, we want to change our bylaws, but we're just struggling for how, how do we do this? And uh, so, and, you know, where there, are there other examples out there that we could refer to? Like, I think that support comes a long way because otherwise you can have... You know, a little organization that's a cooperative fishery in La Loche, you can have one in La Ronge, or, and, and they kind of chug along as best they can. Uh, but nobody's reaching out to them and saying, what, what's going on? It's as simple as that. It's all yeah. Like, yeah, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I'd like to thank Patrick LaPointe. Thank you so much for being uh, in the studio with us today. And we'll see you next time on The Common Share. <laughs>